welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Boomer Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I do research on guests before we meet on Zoom, so I sound at least a little knowledgeable about them while I'm introducing them. Today's guest, however, has such a varied set of experiences, qualifications, strengths that Quite honestly, I wasn't sure where to start. I think I know where I want to go, but to begin, I'm going to let my guest introduce herself. Veronica Williams, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Well, thank you, Agnes. I'm glad to be here. Veronica, please tell our guests about yourself and all the interesting pieces of your life and your mission. I am a licensed minister, a master certified life coach. The co-founder of Alliance Seminar um, is a veteran faith-based organization that provides our clients with coaching um, services that uh, that motivates and provides certified workshops. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. A mom of three. One who is entering his first year of college and two that are twins that are in high school. And I'm excited to uh, discover whatever we talk about today. Oh, that's great. Well, I've got notes, so I have a bit of an advantage. I decided to start with the less happy and work our way up. You named a focus on Podmatch, Finding the Meaning of Grief. Now, grief is something that, you know, boomer women have experienced on some level by now, usually. So let's start there. Do you mind sharing your story of grief and talk about finding the meaning? Oh, yes. My my grief started around 2004. I was pregnant with my son. I had my son on the same day that I lost my oldest sister. Oh. Um, the day before I was to go to the doctor to have my son, my oldest sister and I, we spent hours talking. Um, she was encouraging me about going into the doctor to deliver my baby and how she was going to be coming in a few weeks to help me. I went throughout the whole day, um, just skipping over to the day of the delivery. Of course, I had to be there very early in the morning. After getting situated, I called my mom, but my mom didn't sound as enthusiastic as I thought she would be. Number one, I thought it was because I am three hours um, time difference um, from her. But um, what I found out is prior to me calling my mom, 
my brother-in-law had just got off the phone with her to tell her that my sister who had an aneurysm the day before and the doctor sent them home and they were just getting the call from the doctors to say that my sister had passed away. So in the midst of her getting that information and me calling with excitement and like I've been up for 24 hours, it was a lot for her, but she tried to do the best she could. And it wasn't until after that I realized that I had lost my oldest sister. Um, at some point, I didn't know all of that at the, at the time, but I do recall when I went in to deliver my son, I was at a point where they were about to do a C-section and something in me I, I told me to squeeze my husband's hand. And by me being such a spiritual person, of course, I'm praying and I'm thinking about, you know, just so many things. But what I do recall seeing and hearing was my sister saying every birth has a little bit of pain. And on top of my sister, I experienced the Spirit of God also reminding me that every birth has a little bit of pain. And that was what made me squeeze my husband's hand to say, I'm going to push. <laughs> and so by me pushing, I did not have to have a C-section, which would have prolonged my time in the hospital. But after several hours of being in the hospital and the day is going by, I wanted to call my family, but in the meantime, my family had gotten in touch with my husband, who, by the way, swapped phones with me. He wanted me to use his phone so I wouldn't have access to my phone book to call any other siblings um, until he figured out what he was going to do. And as a result, he called a good friend of mine who happened to be the associate pastor's wife at my church, as well as our pastor, who was actually a female as well. I was surprised that they came to visit and called them, but my husband called because he knew that those those two would be a great support for me. And as a result, he did tell and share with me that I had lost my sister. Of course, it was silent and you could hear a pin drop. They had already taken my oldest son, my baby, out of my hands um, and delivering the news. It, things felt awkward, but I didn't really know what it was all about. But at the end of the day, um, in losing my sister and having my son, I realized that it was well with me because being from a family of faith, my sister had a faith and was strengthened in her faith. So I knew that if she was gone, I knew where she was at and that gave me hope. But it also gave me hope in that what in the world am I going to do with this newborn baby that my sister was coming to help me with? And then I had to remind myself of all the conversations that we had up until the time, the day before that I was going to have my son that gave me all the encouragement and the tools that I was going to need. And then I had to also be reminded about the times when my other sisters had their children and how I was always there to help so in essence, I told my husband, I said, you know, no one is going to come and visit with us. It's going to be OJT <laughs> on the job training. I said, I have experience. I know you don't have any experience, but between us, we're going to get there. Had the um, C-section, I wouldn't have been able to make it to my sister's funeral. And as a result, the doctors, um, the chaplains in the hospital, they actually allowed us to go home a little early to deal with the grief.
But then, um, and they allowed me to travel with my son with just days old. I had to go back a couple of days later prior to us getting on the plane to just check things out. And going home brought meaning to my family. Um, my my youngest, um, my sister's youngest son, he and I had some talking and um, he was like, you know, I know I just lost my mom. He said, but the good thing is I'm glad you were able to come. And believe it or not, your son is bringing the joy out of our sorrow. And so, you know, I know it's going to be difficult days ahead, but I'm glad you came. I'm glad your son is bringing the joy in this bittersweet moment. And from there, I knew the meaning that as we lose someone, there may be a new birth in a child, in a relationship, or whatever it is that you go through. And so that was where I found meaning. That is where I found that although it was going to be bitter days ahead, I was going to have to rely on my strength. But not just my strength, but I was going to rely on my faith to be my strength to get through this grieving process of losing my sister. I just can't imagine a, a time of complete joy elation I mean pain aside but especially your firstborn and then the opposite of a sister that you've spent your life with basically yes and my sister was like my best friend you know she was a sister she was my mentor everything that a woman would want to be and find and I'm newly married at the time as well um I was able to witness her her uh, her life because she had been married 32 years by the time I had my son and um she had always been a mentor to me so I just had to reflect on all the things that I learned from her as a as number one as a, a sister as a friend as a mother, and most importantly, how she was as a wife and how dear um, she was to my family. Um, And what um, the thing about her is that she was, everyone in the family, even extended family, such as aunts, uncles, and cousins, they all had a story of how inspirational she was in their lives. And so we all as a family took that grief to hold each other up and to see brighter days ahead. I was thankful for my faith because my faith is what encouraged me to know that where she was was going to be at a good place. But most importantly, I was very thankful for the opportunity to have the hours prior to her getting sick to speak with her. And so I had no regrets and I had all the encouragement that I needed to receive for her to move forward. And I just took it from there. And I just realized if it was reverse, I would want, I would not want her to sulk in her grief. And one of the things um, that I learned in grieving um, my sister and trying to be a new mom and a new wife is that I had, because I am a woman of faith, I had to pray and ask God to help me um, get through the the void that this was going to be in my life and to always have the memory of her and to think of the good things. And on those days when I want to pick up the phone and call her, give me something to help me get through that process. 
And that is something that I share with people and even today is that when they lose someone, oh, and if you, you know, just think about some of the good times and memories of that individual. For me, I had to pray to ask for help to get through the void because really when we miss someone, it's the void of that person. And when you talk to someone every day at a particular time, that's a hard thing to kind of unravel, to unpeel, to get out of. It's a habit. And so I knew that it was going to take something beyond my own humanness to get me through a daily void that I was going to have in my life for several um, years and for those particular months and days to come. I'm just wondering if because of the distance between those two emotions, whether with this brand new baby, you know, there was a little bit of the edge taken off your joy in some ways. And because of the brand new baby, the grief for your sister, was there sort of that middle ground that you managed to find? Or I guess I'm sort of asking if, if it's like one of those balances, you know, where, you know, you've got extreme joy and extreme grief. Um, do they temper each other a wee bit? In my case, they did sort of temper each other. And I think when they tempered each other is when I saw my family. Because okay. then I could grieve. Then I can cry. Then I can just talk about it and share how I was feeling. Because everybody wanted to know. I'm the youngest of a large family. So everyone was concerned. How is she going to be? She's 3,000 miles away. Is she going to be able to get here? Is she okay? But what people did not know and what surprised me is that in having a baby on the same day, I believe that is where a lot of my power and strength came from to endure what I had endured. Now, mind you, prior to all of that, we all have had some life obstacles where we've been sad, where we've had a, a number of emotions going on at the same day. This was like no different, but it was a different thing because out of the, at the end of the day, you were losing someone who you really wanted to share this special moment with and they're not there. And then you have this new moment with a new baby who needs your attention and needs you to be emotional and needs to feel the love that a baby needs to feel those first hours from their parent. And I think that is what I had to realize I needed to do. And, and bar in mind, here's my husband, too, having to figure out how to deal with a wife like this because he already knew it was going to be, he didn't know how to share it, share that kind of news because he knew how close I was with my sister. He knew how instrumental she was in my life. And so I think that was a moment where my husband, one of the moments in our marriage where my husband realized that, wow, you know, that is one of the attributes that I really loved about you is that you were a woman of strength and a woman that really can empower even when you don't even try or a woman that can give people hope even when you're going through. And I think that's what it did. I think going through those two um, emotions allow the center to be hope. And that's what I was sharing with people is this, you know, I don't know how I'm going to feel in days to come, but for the moment, I'm just going to feel how I feel today. 
and I think too, having had children of my own, is at the end of the day, that little tiny person needs you to be there to be present. And yeah, and this is this is your life, especially on a go forward basis. Like you can't, you can't put the baby off till next week. <laughs> no. And, and, and what I want to say is my sister, she was a month away from being 52 years old. So she was young. Right. But also she had such a beautiful life. Her life was so blessed. Her life was so favored that I think that's where I got the joy even out of her life, um, that it wasn't to be sad because she lived a full life. And to be honest, when we are women and men and um, are of faith, um, we know that in a twinkling of an eye, our life can be gone. So that's why today you live your best day. You know, you live your best life for each each day, not just um, hoping on another day to be better. And I believe that my sister did that. And I think that's what gave me the hope. And that's what let me know that I'm going to miss her. I um, don't know how I'm really going to handle all of the grief in the days to come. But for the moment, I'm just going to be glad that I had an opportunity to have a sister the way that she was to me. And not only a sister, but a friend and a mentor. And that if I just re reflect on her life as a wife and as a mother, I can reciprocate off of those things that I was able and honored to witness to help me in my life. And I think that's where... Um, you turn those lemons into lemonade in your life, you know, bittersweet, you know, bitter that you lose someone and sweet that you have a child. And how do you merge that bittersweet to give hope and to give life for you to continue to move on? And I had to look at it in reverse. And that was, I know, had it been me, I know my sister, I wouldn't have wanted any one of my family members to grieve and get stuck in the in the in the grief of me not being there. I would have wanted them to pick up the pieces, put them back together, and just try to move forward as best you can. Because it was only a temporary moment, although it's gonna be a lifetime of missing her. But at the same time, when we lose someone and we go through grief, we have to remember that that's just a segment of our life. It's not the whole thing. And so there is joy coming. It takes a while, but the and the, the sooner we get the joy, it's, it, um, it depends on how we respond. Well, I have this theory too, that while the physical body may be gone, a person lives on in the story. And if that's the child that's currently, the little baby that's currently going into college, you know, here you are 18, 20 years later, and your sister is still living on in story and in your heart and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, she really is. And that's what I look at. You know, I look at the joy and I look at like, wow, you know, it didn't last long. You know what I mean? It's a lifelong. But the thing is, the memories is what gets you to get your smile back yeah. um, and to get the heartache to be filled with joy. Um, and so I, you know, I just I'm thankful and I'm always reminding people, though you're grieving today, there are brighter days ahead. And I think when you think about me and my son going off to college 18 years later, 
<laughs> Who would have thought that? But there were brighter days ahead. And I'm thankful when I look back on that time because I said if I had stayed stuck in there, we wouldn't be able to see this joy come to pass or come into flourishing. Yeah. And and another thing I say is you don't know what you don't know. So you have a, a, a beautiful, lovely son who's probably healthy and happy, like emotionally, because you were able to find that middle ground and you didn't wallow, like in terms of, you know, just your life ended because your sister's life ended. Right. And not only that, the most important piece, though, was my village, <laughs> my village through my family um, that was, uh, you know, in my hometown and my village of the people that I lived with now in my that was in my life. My friends, my um, friends that had became like family. Um, I had other I lived here with some of my mother's sisters in the same state. And so having them close by as well. Uh, along with some cousins and my, but most importantly, I wouldn't have gotten through this without my husband. And I was thankful for the type of man that God gave me with, through my husband that allowed him to know how to go through this path with me. Um, and it just, it's been a joy, you know, um, when you're not, when, what well, I think what happened is even when you think you're alone, going through something so devastating in your life by yourself, you really are not alone, but you have to accept those that want to be there to give you the support. And I think the worst thing we could do is that when someone comes to us in our grief and, and offer to assist us and offer to be a presence and we reject them and we continue to stay stuck, um, I always say, accept the help because that's the only way you're going to get through it. You cannot, you, you're not alone. You weren't built to do anything by yourself, whether you're single, married, or whatever, you have those sisterships, those brotherships, relationships, and those kin that become kinships, relationships that help you to move on in life. Okay, talking about relationships may be a good segue, because you work with couples a lot too. Now, by this age, as in boomers, many couples have either resigned themselves to putting up with things until one of them goes, or they realize that time's getting short and there's more to life than the current marriage situation. Can you talk to revitalizing a marriage, finding the spark again, um, finding the way back to genuine caring and marriage? Yes, I tell people, I love it. Two is better than one in scripture, it talks about, meaning that when you're in, in a marriage, it takes the two of you to keep that flame burning. It, you got to keep the fire burning. You have to think of creative things. But number one, in revitalizing your relationship, you have to have the honest conversation as to what is it, what what is what is the situation or what is the thing that is causing you to have the difficult situation in your marriage, whether it's been infidelity, distrust, and authenticity, being authentic, being who you really are, you know, not coming in, letting your guard down to be vulnerable. Marriage uh, requires you to be vulnerable. 
And I believe a lot of people that enter in relationships that over the years and what I've discovered with people that I know that are close to me and from that I've um, that we've dealt with in, in, in uh, our coaching is that you have to be truthful, truthful to yourself and truthful to the other person. You have to be honest. You have to be authentic. And you need to remove the unrealistic expectations. Allow the person to be who they really are and not who you want them to be. I'll say it another way. See the person for who they really are and not who you're imagining them to be. <laughs> you know? And I think date nights are great. Nights just doing nothing and just conversating, watching a movie together, being interested in each other's things. It may not be your thing to watch football because your husband may be a, fanat a football fanatic. But from time to time, you never know what that would do for the relationship if you just went in there and just sat next to him. Don't talk, but just sit next there next to him. <laughs> Hear him scream, hear him explain the different plays to you or whatever. And perhaps you're one that likes cooking shows. Either spouse, it's okay. Sometimes you may not like the cooking because you don't know how to cook, you don't want to cook, but how about just going and just, you're interested in this cooking show, I'm just going to sit here and see why you like this cooking show. Realistic, unrealistic expectations. I'm expecting it. We sometimes have um, expectations that have never been said to the other person. So that's why it requires those um, critical conversations to be had that allow you to be able to talk from your heart and to uh, find a safe and, and know that talking to your spouse is a safe space. To be honest, they may not like it and it may be hard, but when you get through it and you did it, it releases a lot of the stress, the strain and the pressure. And then you all can move on and realize, well, I didn't know that squeezing the toothpaste from the bottom and not in the, you know, in the middle bothered you so much. Why didn't you say something when we first got married? Now here he is five years in and you're telling me how frustrated you are about that. Or, or how about, I don't, I like to take my toilet paper from the bottom and not from the, from the, from over, you know, I like to put it on the roll this way. If you don't talk about it, how do they know? And it could be fun. Marriage is supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be all the stress and strain that we bring into it, but it's also how we approach the situation is how the other person is going to perceive it. Don't say it in an antagonizing way. Don't say it in a scolding way as if you're a parent of that individual. You're definitely going to ignite a real fire <laughs> in the relationship. And it's going to take some days to calm it down to get back to where it needs to be. But learn how to speak to one another and what gets one person to move when you say something. And then just be observant. Be observant and realize that when there's a change in the marriage, I think sometimes we just think it's going to just stay the same. But we have to be observant of our spouses to realize when there is a particular change, whether it's likes, dislikes, whether it's just, a, I used to do it this way, but I do it another way. Just talk about it. 
Well, I got to say, first of all, that your two examples, it, it is so petty, and yet it is such a monumental thing for the person that, uh, that that's hilarious. Now, as time goes by in a marriage, you know, when you first start out, it's just the two of you in the marriage and everything like you can 100%, well, you know, a whole bunch of your energy can go into that. And then time goes by and there's one child or more children and there's job stresses and there's parents that are aging and all sorts of things. And and I was going to ask sort of how you advise people, but you also said, when you said date night, I guess you just have to remember to make it a priority. Like, don't just let it drift off as though, oh, well, I'm married now. I don't need to put more effort into it. You keep on creating moments. And even when you have children, you know, um, I've noticed that when couples have children, one of the responsibilities become, you know, they just think it's all one spouse's responsibility but it's both of your responsibilities. The child isn't there for one person's life to stop (laughs) and the other person's to keep going. It's for you all to entangle all three. How are we gonna balance all three? Because now we have a relationship between um, husband and wife, and now we have a relationship between the wife and the child, the husband and the child, and all three of us. How do we embrace all of that? And that means that we have to spend time doing all of that. Dads and moms, you both have to feed the children. You both have to get up at night. You just pick what night, you know? You just pick up, I I did it the first three hours. I'll let you get your rest. I'll do it the next. If shifts, you know, just learning how to balance it. And, And I think all of it is just talking about it. And talking about it soon, sooner than later. Talk about it when it happens. We're all in this joy of this baby. And then we realize like the baby, for the husband, sometimes he feels like, I don't, I want my wife back. You know, she's always with the baby. Now you're not supposed to be contending with the baby, but maybe if I help her out, maybe she'll have a little bit more energy for me. So there are some benefits there, (laughs) you know? Maybe I come home and the house is a wreck as the child grows up. Instead of coming in, they're like, whoa, whoa, what happened? A tornado hit the house. How about just picking up what you see messed up? How about just helping out? How about husbands and wives, they both travel. You come home. Give the person a few minutes to gather themselves, to put the luggage down. Instead of saying, I'm glad you're here, here. you know, Make an easy transition. And that comes by being empathetic, understanding, and realizing, like, you know what? When I'm home, things are tidy and things together because I'm there helping. I can understand that things got didn't really go the way that they normally do when I'm not there. So you know what? Let me just help out and get it back to order where we could both feel comfortable. And and I can I can let the spouse that was home with the kids all week or for those few days of my business trip get a little me time. How about, you know, just learning how to figure it out, learning how to marriage takes sacrifice and marriage takes compromise. Those two things are critical as well as forgiveness. When you're mad, when you're angry, 
you have to forgive and move on. You can't stay there. Um, those are a lot of the three th things that goes into the segments because a lot of times taking care of the baby and giving the baby all the attention, we didn't realize that it wasn't a pro that it was a problem with you because you never said anything, <laughs> you know? Um, and if you realize it was a problem, how about, you know what, let me take my turn with the baby. Let me put the baby to sleep and maybe you and I can just have some time just to talk. Now you talk about men and women seeing through different lenses. Is that part of what you've just been saying? That is part of what I was just saying. Um, so Dr. Eckeridge, um, he's a he's um, an author of a book called. The bottom line of the book is women desire love, and men desperately need respect. And the one thing that he talked about is men see through blue lenses and women see through pink lenses. And he was saying how when we don't understand each other, we're not giving each other what they need, which then he calls a crazy cycle. So you're in this crazy cycle. But when a husband gives his wife love, then he can reciprocate and she feels like he's giving her the love that she needs. Then she will learn to respect him. Uh, is there a that to... Well, but is there a reverse? I mean, men must need love and women want respect. It, right. But it, it, it all ties in. You know, you'll get it. You know, it is a reverse. But for the most part, in this particular book, what he was just saying is that, you know, we get to a point in our marriages where we keep having these crazy cycles because we haven't discovered what's really going on in our relationship. So we keep arguing over the same things and we, there's never any resolve. Number one, we don't communicate with each other because communication is a big key and a problem in the marriage. We have to talk. We have to share our ideas and our thoughts and perspectives and opinions. It's just not based on one person to rule the conversation and the direction that it goes and to set the, the, the ground rules or, or the standards of what happens. You're both responsible for that. But one of the um, the funny things that I like out of the story that he talks about seeing through those blue lenses is that when a woman goes in her closet and she looks for some something to wear for the day and she goes in and she says, oh, I have nothing to wear, you know, and the man is like, you got a zillion things in there. And a man goes in his closet and he was like, he looks around, he said, I have nothing to wear. So the moral of the story is that when the woman goes into her closet, she's saying, when she says, I have nothing to wear, she's saying, I have nothing new to wear. <laughs> she's plenty to wear. It just don't have anything in there that has recently bought that's brand new or got a tag on it, right? And for a man, when he goes in to the closet and he says, I have nothing to wear, he was saying that that's really a perspective that men don't have anything clean to wear. All of their <laughs> stuff is dirty. <laughs> So you see it two different ways, same scenario, but we look at it two different ways. And that's the same thing with life. That's the same thing with any given situation. That's why it takes communication, um, being there to communicate, because what I, my perspective on it is a little different from your perspective. And unless we communicate, we won't understand each other's perspective on a certain topic. Hmm. Earlier this year, I chatted with a sex therapist, and she shared some really good thoughts about intimacy as we age. Can you talk to us about sex versus intimacy, especially for older women, people? 
Yeah. You know, as we get older, our bodies change, um, whether it's health ailments, what we used to do in our 20s, we can't do in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, but there are ways that we can be intimate, and it's not talking about um, from a sexual point of in um, sex, sex um, of sex with with our with our spouses. Um, there's things we can do with our spouses. We can hold hands. We can um, touch. We can have conversation. You know, we can schedule just some little things that we could do. Uh, you know. It's a rainy day here where I am today, and um, if, if we just didn't have a busy day already today and we needed some dinner, I probably would have just pulled out a blanket in my basement, got some crackers, some cheese, some apple cider, some, uh, you know, whatever fruit I had, and just say, honey, come on down. Let's just have a picnic on the floor. <laughs> Can't go outside, but we can have it here, and let's just talk about it. And so a good way also, too, is we can create. And what do we talk about? A lot of couples say, oh, I don't know what to talk about. Um, you can make a, you can just make a bowl and just put questions in there, topics in there, and just have popcorn, answer, you know, answers. Whatever come on there, answer it, and both of you give your thoughts and your opinions about it. Try to be creative. Think about some of those things that when you weren't in the bed together, when you weren't having sex, what was those things that draw you to each other that that caused you to really um, enjoy each other even without um, the sexual act? It could just be talking, holding hands, watching a movie, uh, reading a book together, reading some excerpts out of a book and talking about what do you think that that meant? You know, what did you get out of it or various different ways. A, a lot of people get sex and intimacy mixed up. And that's where the rubber meets the road in a lot of marriages. And again, our perspectives are the lenses that we look out of. Men have a different perspective of what they look at and women as well. But until you communicate on those two things and those two ideas, you won't really understand what the other person is thinking. You know, when you're young and you're in a relationship and you really got, you guys really get to know each other, you really think like, and, and you go around other people and the other couple can, one one spouse can start out the statement and the other one can end it because they're thinking alike. So it's getting on one accord. And how do we get on one accord? We spend time together. We're, we're not in our own separate room. You know, we're in the same room together, communicating, talking. And I think a lot of people need to get back to having dinner at the dining room table or the kitchen table. And having conversation, not the radio on, not your phones at the table, just regular, genuine conversation. Yeah, and I think what I'm hearing there, too, is, and, and partly this is perhaps just the way society has advanced, but we think about a sex life. We don't yeah. think about an intimacy life, which intimacy right. is, I think on any level, is in, without intimacy, even sex is just sex. It's not that because wh why? Because you have an emotional disconnect. Yes, one person wants sex in the literal sense of sex. Another person just want to talk, and maybe it'll lead to that. 
time and time again, I see, I hear so many couples saying, we're not connecting. We don't, and when we get down to it, they don't have an emotional connection because the one spouse just want to go to bed and have sex, but the other one is like, well, before that, I want to hear about the day. I want him to ask me about my day. I want to know more about what the day was like. I want to be able to share my day, get that out of my system, whatever is going on. So I could be there for that individual mentally, you know, emotionally. And then the physical attribute will come. You don't plan sex. It naturally happens. But when you're connected, it naturally happens. When you're disconnected, you're going to have that. We're not seeing eye to eye. I think we've outgrown each other. I'm at a different level than that person is. Really? You really just haven't communicated on what's really going on and you haven't connected in your communication and you haven't had um you hadn't been real with one another on your thoughts feelings opinions and, and to discuss what's going on intimacy comes before the sex if i don't feel connected to you in an intimate way our sex is not gonna be good Let's just let's just say that. Can we just say it like that? It's just not gonna be good. Yeah. One person's gonna be into it, the other person's like, oh, I'm just here. And that is not good. You want to enjoy it because to be honest, sex is meant to be a joyous moment between a husband and a wife. It is not to be a chore. It is not to be exasperating. It is not to feel, make one person feel bad and the other feel bad. You're going to be unified on that. And one way of doing that is becoming emotionally attached in intimate ways. I'll just be honest. Most women, we like to talk. Women like to talk. You know, we, we got that gift of gas. <laughs> and then you have some men that are not talkers at all. And so that makes them opposite, right? But you're going to have to talk about something to get them to be interested, <laughs> you know, because if they haven't gotten it out of their system, as far as whatever the day was, what they want to say, they're not going to be able to, to fulfill your need. And, and the whole thing is fulfilling your need, getting our needs met. What are our needs? For a man, he wants this sexual act. For a woman, she just wants the intimacy. But if she feels like you've given her the intimacy and conversation and the touch or whatever else another person's desire is, then they're able to fulfill your needs. But I think what happens is couples can have a disconnect where they're not meeting each other's needs to even have a satisfactory, healthy and safe sexual life together. Well, you know, we're, we're two thirds of the way in and. The bottom line all through this is communication. Communication. Yeah. yeah. All through it. Yeah. It takes that. And because because as of, as we grow and as we mature, our likes and dislike changes. Yeah. And so we do have to make sure that we let people know, you know, honey, I like to talk first. Can you just ask how I'm doing before just want to take me to the sack? You know, <laughs> that's all I'm asking. Um <laughs> Or, or even, can you help me with the children so I'm not so tired where I'm cooking, doing the laundry, bathing the kids, feeding the kids, all by myself. And you over here winding down, ready. I can't get ready. But 
the minute that you just even help with the child, like, oh, I'll bathe the baby tonight, that takes one task off of the spouse. And there now that gives them a little bit more energy for what you might want to ultimately have. <laughs> but if you don't find yourself helping, because it's not just one person's job, you have to find out what can I do to reduce the tension, reduce the stress of my of my spouse so that when I go to bed, we can meet each other's needs yeah. and have the joy of, of what we're supposed to have in our marriage. So, so what I've heard you say all the way through is, what can I do toward this? Not what can I, not what are you going to do for me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now you also focus on women and I struggled with my notes here. I was going to say, you you know, you work with women alone or you, you work with women as opposed to children or couples, but that has that word opposition in it. What do you share with women who need to feel empowered to, who seek purpose? One of the things I share with women is find your own individual purpose or your individual passion. Realize that you're doing it for yourself and not for someone else. And find out what, what's stopping you or what's preventing you from doing it. And if you can do it today, do it. You only get one life. And just because it might have been something in your younger years doesn't mean that you can't do it. Uh, in your older, you know, in your blooming, blooming years. Uh, just know that it won't be people, places, or things that empower you. That empowerment comes from within. And that's some of the things that I tell women. Is, is there a way for a woman to, you know, I mean, she's 65, say, and, and she, she can't see that anymore is it a matter of just sort of sitting down and saying okay like like I had a spark 30 40 years ago like what was it then and is it still applicable is that part of that self-conversation it is part of the self-conversation and then uh, and then maybe it's something new maybe it's not the 34 years ago item maybe it's something now what is it now that I can do in my I'm 65, but I, I, I can't do it now because I, I'm not in my 30s anymore. But what is there something new that is, that is giving you a spark, that is, that is igniting you to, to achieve something? You know, what is it? And what is it? Can you do it today? You know, what is it that you could do today? And not so much look in a wonder of a pastime, but is there something new that you can do today that will ignite you or, or, or give you that spark to feel like you've achieved something. Uh, because some things in our past, we just won't be able to achieve. So now let me just find a new thing and a new achieve, a new accomplishment, a new, something new to achieve that will empower me and that will give me joy and that would help me feel as though I've accomplished it. Not looking back on those old years because they're gone, but just finding something now. Well, it, it's funny because I, I do say to some people, you know, look back perhaps at your school yearbook. and But you've got to be reasonable. So my example is I will never, ever marry Prince Charles, now King Charles. But <laughs> if I want to travel, 
I can still do that. <laughs> so being, being reasonable is, is very important. Being reasonable and treating your spouse, your current spouse or your friend or whatever it is. As if they're your king. <laughs> oh, there's a good idea. You know? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Can I call you Chuck in our intimate moments? <laughs> oh, dear. You know, it's how we treat them. It's how we treat them that make them feel that way. When, and when we talk about that respect, play, that thing, um, the respect perspective earlier, you know, when we treat our husbands and our spouses with respect and we make them feel needed. Men need to feel needed. So many women that are accomplished, you know, successful in their own jobs, purchase their own homes. A man comes, he says, well, she don't need me, <laughs> you know, because she got it all. But do you really have it all? Say some things for your Prince Charming, your king, <laughs> to be able to do for you. It's, and I'm not saying don't go get the home, don't go and get your full education. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying do all of that, but allow the, the, the other person, particularly if it's a woman like that, allow the man to feel as though there is space and room for him in your life. That's all he wants to feel. He may not make as much as you. <laughs> But are you willing to sacrifice that whatever he makes, he puts in with mine and it's ours and we get it together. And now it's not even about what we make, who who makes what. It's a matter of how we're going to build our life together to be happy. And you're not going to always have happy times, but you're going to have seasons of growth and seasons to know that this is what we do to make sure that each of us are inspired and encouraged to stay married. I saw a quote, and I think you've pretty much addressed it. You are you are only in your storm as long as you allow yourself to be in it. Yes, that is my quote. <laughs> I found it a couple of places. <laughs> yeah, that is my quote. And that quote came about when I had a miscarriage. And again, my sister was there for me. But I had a strong prayer life. I had my faith was strong in my religion or in my relationship with Christ. And one of the things I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to get through that process. And one of the things that um, the Lord spoke to me in my reading and in my prayer life is that, Veronica, you're only in your storm as long as you allow yourself to be. Meaning, the sooner that you turn that pain and that grief over to me, Veronica, you can move forward and continue to prosper and go forward and not always have this situation be a reflection of grief or if I could have, should have, would have, what are our blame or devastation that don't keep you moving in life. And that's where that quote came from. And I say that even in other people's lives, just because you've gone through something so devastating, so hurtful, it doesn't mean that you have to stay there. You do not have to remove, remain there. Get the healing that is necessary in that area and in that situation during that time and move forward and find new things. 
Yeah, yeah, it's so uh, so important. And uh, as I say, I, I saw the quote, and I I knew exactly what you meant, but I just wanted to hear it from you as well, you know, because it's it is so true. Because we stay in our storms, and we don't look at the brighter days that are ahead of us. We stay. We feel like, oh gosh, woe is me. Get out of the pity party. Get out of that, <laughs> and just keep it moving. Find other resources. Find other activities, habits, things that keep your mind occupied. You know the saying: "A mind is a terrible thing to work to uh, waste." They talk about education, but when we start focusing on all negative things, we can never get to the positive, and even it it, it misuses our um, or it misrepresents our view on everything. But the minute we start adding positive things in our life, we can start seeing things in a bigger and broader perspective that can bring more hope, more life to our lives versus the mental tiredness that we get or the, 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 the embarrassment or whatever, because we didn't accomplish something. Just keep it moving. I had the discussion just recently with a friend about the fact that, you know, you think about the downward spiral, which is a truism, but you can reverse it. And as soon as you start finding a few positives, you see a few more positives and the spiral can go up as well. Um, And I think that's an important thing to remember. And I think it's finding friends and family members or people in your circle that are positive. If you're around negative people, you're going to, they're going to drain you and you're going to become more negative. But when you're around positive people, that's more motivation to get you to be more positive and start looking at your life in such a different way that now you're having more positive things. Because the truth of the matter is what we put in comes out. So if all I put in is negative thoughts, negative things, bad, you know, all of the terrible things, that's all that's going to come out. But this minute I start showing, uh, imparting positive things into me, I'm now empowered to have more positiveness in my life. There you go. <laughs> okay, we've covered a whole bunch of subjects today. Yes. One question I always ask is there something that we haven't talked about that you think it's important for a boomer woman to know or to think about? Mm-hmm. You've covered a lot today, and I really appreciate. I, it. Did, I, I, did. I did. notes, and you just blew me right well, out of the water. Well, I would say, I would say to a boomer woman, love yourself first. Mm. Don't feel selfish, because now you're at an age where, like, you've done everything for everybody else. Take now, you're first. It's okay. And don't feel ashamed. Don't allow anybody to make you feel bad that you're taking care of yourself first. I think we forget about taking care of ourselves because we're so consumed with everybody else's situation or everybody else's life, whether it's a spouse, whether it's um, our children, extended family, our jobs. To the boomer woman, now is the time to take care of yourself first. Okay, let's put that on a plaque and put it on the wall. <laughs> okay, we know that you uh, you do mentorship. Now, do you work primarily in the D.C. area or do you have online programs? 
I can do online. I do online programs as well. I do do mentoring shifts and I do um, empowerment um, workshops as well um, for women individually or either, um, you know, if you have a couple of friends, you guys want to get on a Zoom, I'm, I'm right there. Um, just to talk about anything that's going to help you feel empowered to move forward um, out of the area that you, you're feeling stuck with. It's always good to brainstorm with someone else to try to figure out what's going on. And um, you can always reach me at Alliance Seminars Coaching on Facebook, or either you can do allianceseminars.org. Um, to reach me, I'm always available. Um, it's important to realize that you don't, there's a lot of resources out there. You need to take advantage of them. I'm going to add here that I see that you provide CPR on a life. And I really like that. CPR, <laughs> clarity, purpose, and resilience. I thought that was great. Um, <laughs> yes, that is my empowerment. Clarity. <laughs> Uh, okay, tell you us. Have to have it. Tell us again. Alliance seminars. Alliance seminars dot, coaching. Oh, coaching dot. Uh, oh, the website. Dot org. This is the website, yeah. and then Alliance seminars coaching. If you just you can reach us on Facebook. Oh, okay, perfect. Uh, I always put links in the show notes, so that's perfect. Yes. Okay, just last real quick question. You share some of your coaching with Daryl. This is your husband. He sounds like pretty uh, quite a gem. <laughs> he is such a God-fearing man. He is a gem. I, that was, I don't know what to say. <laughs> that was G-E-M, not, uh, not Jim. <laughs> yes, he is really my best friend um, when you think about it. And that's what I discovered. And getting in a relationship with Darrell, and that is to allow him to be my best friend. And he allowed me to be his best friend. Um, because in marriage, you're each other's best friends. When you're single, you have your best girlfriend, your best, you know, buddy or whatever. Um, you can still have those, but they're outside of your marriage uh, on a separate level. But really, when we get married, we're to be our spouse's best friends. Um, and that's where that vulnerability come in and that we should be able to be what our spouses need us to be. So as a result of all of that, Darrell and I are the uh, co-founders of Alliance Seminars Coaching. And it's just in what we've built in our own lives as we started out younger and how God has just moved in our lives over the years this just allowed us to just work together and mesh. And so we we like to share that with other couples to know that they can have healthy relationships and they can thrive in marriages, whether you have hiccups or not. Um, but it takes you being vulnerable and willing to expose those things that are hindering you in your marriage so that you can get the help that's necessary and seek out the resources that are available to you. Every, this is a sideline. Every single guest, when we first get on Zoom, I ask them how they pronounce their name, even if they have what is the most common name appearing. So my apologies to Darrell, because I just called him Daryl. 
Oh yeah, people say that all the time <laughs> because it's you know it's pronounced two different ways. Well, but he pronounces but, it um, Darrell. I take it. Yeah, okay. but but to, even if you called me Victoria, I would answer <laughs> because I know that when we're in conversation with people, it's not always intended. Um, things happen so we have to learn and that's one thing this is a good side note too even in marriage we can't take and in any relationship we can't take things personal you know well I've got a name Agnes I mean I've been called all sorts of things (laughs) (laughs) me too I've been Victoria I've been Vanessa I've been all of that And 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 a funny story I worked with this lady and every day she would pass by me. She would say, hi, Vanessa. I would say, hi, hi. <laughs> and one day she approached me. She said, I am so sorry. I've been calling you Vanessa and you never corrected me. I said, no, I never corrected you because it's always been in a public setting. And I knew that, you know, it was only in a name. And I knew you meant me. And so she said, well, I thank you so much for that. But I let her know. It's all in a name. What's in a name? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was a mishap. You're in the midst. We we work with 100 people, a lot of V's, a lot of whatever letters. And in the midst of just trying to say hi to someone, you mess up a name. And it doesn't matter. Life goes on. We have to learn. <laughs> we have to learn not to carry our emotions and our feelings on our sleeve. And real and, and always think the best, you know, yeah. even in marriage, you shouldn't be married to your, you're not married to your enemy. In other relationships, everybody is not out to get you, you know, learn to be positive and to give people the benefit of the doubt um, before you go and make a, 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 a judgment against them. And I think that's how I live my life, to be fair, just to. It doesn't. Is it really that big of a deal? (laughs) It really isn't. And so I like that because that's how you have fun. That's how you make life fun. When you you relieve the stress. Now there are times you know leave the stress for the times that really need that dedicated source of stress. (laughs) All the other stuff, take it as it is and keep it moving. Well, I think that's a perfect way to end. Get rid of the stress and love life, enjoy life. That's great. Listeners, as always, uh, the links to Vanessa. Vanessa, (laughs) you did it to me. The links for Veronica will be in the show notes. (laughs) If you have comments on today's show, please talk to us. If you're listening at twoboomerwomen.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and leave comments there. We can be found at Apple or Spotify and, yes, even Amazon. Most places a person would listen to podcasts. Feel free to leave comments there and leave stars and reviews. They help us grow. Before you go, hit the subscribe or follow button and you'll be notified about future interviews with more of my great guests. There are a variety of people you could share this episode with. Married friends who are struggling as their marriage reaches the 40, 50 year mark. Friends who need lifting up, who need to find purpose as they enter their 50s, 60s, 70s, and I don't exclude younger people, or a friend who is having difficulty finding her way through grief. If you want to be a guest on podcast or know someone who would be a great guest, there's an application form at the website. 
Veronica Williams, thank you so much for being my guest on Two Boomer Women today and sharing so many thoughts that our audience will use. Yes, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this time. Have a great rest of week. Thank you, you too.